Okay, we are in chapter 10 of Revelation. Believe it or not, we're almost halfway through the book. We are making good progress, according to my way of reckoning. I don't know how you feel about it, but I think we're doing, doing pretty well at this point. Now, what we're going to find in chapter 10 is we've been studying the, uh, the vision of the, set, uh, the seven trumpets, and there have been uh, a number of the trumpets have sounded already. Actually, there's only one left, so the, the seventh hasn't, found, hasn't uh, sounded yet, and it's not going to sound today either. Uh, what you're going to find here is there's kind of an interlude between the sixth and the seventh trumpet. And it may be a particular passage that you're familiar with. I know that some people are more familiar with certain things in Revelation and not, and not other things. Uh, but chapter 10 may be one of those that is more known by some people. Uh, so anyway, let me read, uh, beginning with verse 1 to the end of the chapter. And I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, uh, and the rainbow was upon his head, and his, his face was like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book, which was open, and he placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the land. And he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars, and when he had cried out, the seven peals of fun- thunder th- uttered their Voices, And when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken, and do not write them. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and things in it and the earth and the things in it and the sea and the things in it, that there shall be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished, and he preached to his servants, the prophets. And the, and the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me and saying, Go take the, the book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. And I went to the angel, uh, telling him to give me the little book. And he said to me, Take it and eat it, and I will... And it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the hand, or out of the angel's hand, and ate it. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, You must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Now there's some questions about who this this angel that's described as being a a strong angel, and we've seen the same description applied uh, to another angel earlier on in the book. Uh, There are some who conclude that this is a manifestation of Jesus Christ himself. Others, on the other hand, believe that this is a strong angel, as is described here. I mean, there are some things here that might make you think Christ. Uh, This angel is described... Uh, in similar fashion to Jesus all the way back in the beginning of the book of Revelation where there's a description given of him, some overlapping there and, and that sort of thing. I tend to lead toward the idea that it's not really a manifestation of Jesus, that Jesus appears here, uh, but just in voice. Uh, 
Now, when my brother and I were younger, we used to love to go to the movie. And, it, it, you, you know, we could go to Marion Theater downtown Ocala. We would do it almost every Saturday. And for a quarter, we could get in to see the movie and have a drink and some popcorn and have a couple of pennies left, uh, if you can remember those days. But that was almost a Sunday or Saturday afternoon routine for my brother and I. We loved the movies, and one of the movies, uh, types of movies we liked were the ancient movies, we called them. We loved to go see movies about Hercules and Jason and the Argonauts and, and some others, and we saw this one movie at one time. And I had never really thought again about this movie until uh, I began to study some things just recently, and this particular thing was brought to my attention. And the movie had to do with the Colossus of of Rhodes. Have you ever heard of that? It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And the interesting thing about it was Rhodes is an island, was an island kingdom that was located within about 100 miles of Patmos. And what the Colossus of Rhodes was, it was first constructed back in 282 B.C. or so. It was destroyed by an earthquake after about 50 years or so. And it was never rebuilt, but it was a massive statue made of bronze that was 110 feet high. So we're talking about a 10 or 11-story building. Basically, the same height as the Statue of Liberty is without its base. So from the feet of the, the statue to the crown is about the same height as this. So, I mean, it was considered to be one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And rumor has it that that statue straddled the entrance to the harbor of Rhodes. I just wonder as John considers this and as those members of those seven churches read uh, these things, if that might not be something that pops into their head when they consider this strong angel who has, is so massive. Now I think of this as a colossal angel who can put one foot on the land and the other foot on the sea and at the same time can stand on the earth and reach up into heaven. He was clothed with a cloud. Now, this is one of the reasons that we might conclude that this is a manifestation of Jesus because Jesus is described when he comes again as coming on the clouds of glory. And if you think about the appearance of God on Mount Sinai before Israel, that uh, there was a cloud that descended on the mountain. There was a rainbow on his head. What do you think of when you see a rainbow in the sky? I've seen quite a few of them this summer. We had quite a, quite a wet summer, and I don't know how many rainbows I've seen. I've seen actually two rainbows at the same time, which I'm not sure I've ever seen that before. But when you think of rainbows, what do you think of? I, think, I hope you're thinking about Genesis chapter 9 where, where, the, where the, this is God's war bow that he put up in the heavens to show us and remind us over and again that he's promised he'll never destroy the earth by water again. His face was like the sun. 
You might think there about Moses when he went up on Mount Sinai and he was in the presence of the holiness and the glory of God. And when he came down from the mountain, the skin of his face shone brilliantly white so much that people couldn't look upon his face and Moses was completely oblivious to it. But for a time, Moses had to cover his face with a veil to protect the people. And he would only remove it when he would go into the tent of meeting to visit with the Lord. Feet like pillars of fire. Again, that's Revelation chapter 5, verse 2. One of the descriptions given to Jesus when he manifested himself there. He had in his hand a little book which was open now. Very often people want to jump to the conclusion that this is the same book that we've studied prior to this. Remember the book that uh, the father had and uh, the lamb who was slain came and took the book from him? I don't really think it's the same book at all. There's some distinct differences. That was the book of seven seals. So it was, it was a book or scroll, and it was, seven, it was sealed up with seven seals. And then Jesus opened each one of those seven seals that we've studied. It was a substantial book or scroll. There's an entirely different word in the Greek that is used here to apply to this book, which literally means a little book or a booklet. Another interesting thing about it is it's open already. It's not closed. It's laying open in the hand of this strong angel. Verse 3, he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. One of the things I can remember seeing very often at the beginning of those movies my brother and I went to see was the MGM opening of the movie where you have this picture of this video of the lion roaring and they established that all the way back in like 1924 and it's always been the symbol used by MGM movies. But because of that, you and I don't have to wonder what it's like to listen to a lion roar. I mean, everyone in this room has has seen those movies uh, that opening with the lion's roar. And I shared with you before that Walter and I actually had the privilege of being on the same ground as a roaring lion in Africa many years ago. It is a sobering thing. I mean, when the lion roars... Everybody listens. They may not understand necessarily what is being conveyed, but everybody listens. And we know it has a purpose. The purpose of the roar and and, and substance is to cause the prey to freeze in fear. Can you imagine a voice coming forth from a colossal angel? It sounds like a lion. 
And there's another sound that comes. Not that he speaks, but another sound that comes. The seven peals of thunder. There actually are scriptures that talk about God speaking as a lion. I don't know if you know that in Ezekiel and Hosea and Amos. There are passages that talk about God roaring as a lion. Seven peals of thunder. So the, the, the lion roars on the, on the land and the thunder rumbles in the sky. What does the seven peals actually represent? We don't know for certain, but we've all heard thunder before, right? And just remember the number seven is the number of perfection or completeness. And so what I would, it would, this would be complete, absolute thunder that would echo through the sky above. But I want to challenge us with the idea that this was not just noise that was being made. This was noise with content. God's content. God speaking. When I heard the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write. Now remember this at the very beginning of the book. Jesus told John to write down everything. And he's become accustomed to doing that. All of these details that you and I have been studying through this book of Revelation, and we all have to admit at this point that it's really easy to get lost in the details. There's so many details about everything that the book speaks about. But can you imagine John has been feverishly writing down everything that he's seen and everything that he's heard. You think about the ending of John's gospel and he says there this, he said that basically the the things I've written are just a few of them. That if I were to write down everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus did, that I would imagine the world would be not big enough to hold the book. We always have to remember this, and that is God has given us snapshots. Not everything, you know, everything that's taken place over the years and all of that, he's given us. I mean, you look at the Bible, and it's really intimidating for a lot of people. You know, you look at it, and this one here happens to be, you know, like 1,300 pages long, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, and it's so intimidating that I would imagine there are a lot of church people in their whole lifetime don't ever read through the whole thing at least once. But what I'm telling you guys is this is just a little teeny tiny bit of all of it. This is just a snapshot of all the rest of it. And we can understand that God doesn't tell us everything because we could not even take everything in. We have enough hard, difficult time taking in this. But Jesus had told John to be writing down everything 
But now he tells him, or actually the peals of thunder, well, he hears a voice coming from heaven, and I would imagine it's probably a familiar voice. There's probably good reason to believe it's the voice of Jesus coming from heaven. Telling him to seal these things up and do not write them down. There are some things that are still mysteries. There are some things that will be revealed at the very end of time. Things that we don't know for certain. Things that we don't have any idea about. We are not at that time yet. Something very similar God gave to Daniel back in Daniel chapter 12. And that is he had this vision and he told him to to seal it up. Is no longer sealed up. You and I have it in our Bible. We read it and we study it. For a lot of reasons. And one of those is because of the vision of the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man that we find in that very important gospel book in the Old Testament. So if you want me to tell you specifically what those peals of thunder, those seven peals of thunder say, I'm going to have to tell you this morning, I don't know. I don't have a clue. They have not been revealed. The time will come when they will, but that will be at the very end of time. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the the land lifted up his right hand to heaven Now, you and I lift our right hand on occasion, right? And when we do that, it's very often to take an oath, an oath of office or an oath for one reason or another. He swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven, created heaven and the things in it and the earth and the things in it and the sea and the things in it that there shall be no longer, there shall be delay no longer. Creation is all about Jesus. Now, if you read the book of Genesis, chapter 1 and 2, about creation, you don't see Jesus mentioned there specifically and, uh, and etc. But John's prologue makes it very clear, and that is that everything that's been created has been created by Christ, that nothing is that, that is that was not created by him. One of the reasons that we understand that Jesus is fully God because the act of creation is a godly attribute that no one else has. That he can create things out of nothing. So we understand that John swore by God himself because he is the creator. He swore by Jesus because he is the creator. That there would no longer be any delay. That wasn't me. There would no longer be any delay. Any delay of what? 
Well, if you look back in the book, you're going to find just a couple of chapters back that the spirits, the souls of the martyrs are there under the altar of incense and they are praying. How much longer? How much longer do we have to wait? And I would say that when fruition comes to these things that are laid down here is it is at the very end of time, the great judgment day of God is what is referred to here. That things will not wait any longer. That finally those prayers of the martyrs will be answered in full. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, that's the seventh angel that still has to sound his trumpet. When he's about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets. Notice here it makes reference to the end. Things are done. All is finished. There's completeness. There's fullness. We understand that will all take place at the second coming of Christ in the day of God's judgment. The voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me and saying, Go take the book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and the land. And I went to the angel telling him to give me the little book. I think I probably would have said, Purdy, please, can I have that book? And he said to me, Take it and eat. It will make your stomach bitter. But in your mouth, it will be sweet as honey. What I would say to you is there's very good reason to believe that in essence, this little book represents the gospel. The gospel that was first preached by the prophets. and It was preached by the apostles. And in essence, it's preached by every believer through the things that they say and the manner in which they live their lives. We understand this. If you've studied the word of God, you know that, this, that it is sweet to the taste very often. It ministers to your spirit like nothing else possibly could. Martin Luther said, the Bible runs after me. It chases me. It lays hold of me. And if you've read the Bible, you know what we're talking about. That when you read the Bible and you get up and walk away from it, you know that God has spoken to you. It's not like the same feeling that you get when you read a novel or read the newspaper. You have no doubt that God has spoken to you. The gospel that has gone forth. The gospel that has been made much clearer in the New Testament than was in the Old. But you need to understand that the New Testament is not the source of the gospel. The Old Testament is. That the New Testament builds upon the foundation that's already laid by the Old Testament. We went out to eat a few years ago and it was someone from the church I think gave us a gift certificate for a restaurant somewhere. I don't even remember what the name of it was, but it was a Chinese restaurant. 
And so we went one night, and the kids were still small. And the food was really good. And I'll never forget that the cook came out of the kitchen at one time. He's going, really good food, yeah. And we were all in agreement to that. But then we got home. And it got awful bitter. And I think maybe one of the kids didn't get sick, but everybody else did. God's word is full of sweetness. Things that minister to our soul, like we said before, like nothing else possibly could. Sometimes it has a calming effect on us. We may be in the midst of a very unbelievable crisis. And then we sit and we read and God speaks to our heart and grants us peace and tranquility even in the midst of a heavy sea. The Bible says some things that are hard for people to take. Hard for people to hear. And one of the most difficult things, I think, is this idea that there will be a day of judgment. That there will be this day when every person that ever was will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And it will be true for believers just as much as unbelievers. But for a different reason. Unbelievers have refused to listen to what God has said, period. As we studied in the last chapter, they are unrepentant, even when they are confronted with God, in essence, face to face, and they will. They will, be, they will come right before Jesus himself, the judge. And even when their crimes are laid bare for them to see, they will refuse to repent of their evil doing. And they will be cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity as a consequence. Where they will remain unrepentant. Where, if anything, their hatred of God will grow and increase. It will not diminish over time. Very often in the church today, you don't hear much talk about hellfire and brimstone. Most of us, when we were younger, it's like that's about the only thing we did get. We heard it very often. Today, it's almost a rare thing. And let me tell you something. There are churches you could go, go into and be there for 25 years and never, ever, ever hear a hellfire and brimstone sermon or anything came close to it. Some of the televangelists, the only thing they do is focus on the love of Christ, and that's the whole picture. And that's not the whole picture. That's the problem. Because we can't pick and choose from Scripture what we like, what, we, what makes us feel good and great and grand, and ignore and forget about the rest of it. We have to take all of it. Because it's all the word of God. And we have to listen to the hard things. And we have to admit that we don't necessarily understand them. But because God has said them that they are true. 
And they are things that we must believe. And they are a very big part of the picture. There are some people that when you share the gospel with them, they will lay hold of it. And they will embrace it. Because it's something they've been waiting to hear for a very long time in many cases. Some of them have been in church probably every Sunday of their whole lifetime and they've never one time heard the gospel. When I think of this, when I think of evangelism, I always think about a story that I heard about Hudson Taylor or read about Hudson Taylor one time. And I don't know how much you know about him, but he was a missionary in the early 1800s. And he was one of the first missionaries to enter into China that had been closed to foreigners up to that point. They didn't allow trade. They didn't allow any, you know, contact at all with anybody else. It was a closed nation. It was a closed community sealed off from the rest of the world. And then it opened up, and Hudson Taylor just felt this calling to go to China. And it took him years in preparation. He, he, he prepared as a, uh, as a physician, too. He was a medical doctor. Well, not quite. He didn't quite finish everything up, but he trained in medicine so that he could serve not only as a pastor, but as a doctor. And he did that faithfully in China for years. And by the end of his life, the gospel had spread all over that nation that had been closed just decades before that. But he tells a story about how he he would go off on these mission trips all by himself into places that no European had been ever. where he would stand out like a sore thumb, except for one thing. One of the things Hudson Taylor did was this, is he took on the dress of a, of a Chinese person, and he learned their language. He, in essence, became Chinese with the hope that he might save some. He lived like they did. He ate what they did. But he came to this very remote village one day. And there was an older man there that came to him and said this, I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting for a long time to hear what you just told me. Why did you wait so long? There are people in your life. Maybe they've been waiting and no one's ever taken the time to tell them the gospel of grace. Maybe they're your neighbors. Some you do know. Some you don't know. Maybe they're family members. Maybe they're strangers. Maybe they'll be that person that you strike up a conversation with tomorrow 
when you're waiting in the checkout line at Walmart or maybe the new Publix. There are people waiting. You were waiting at one time. Waiting for the message of salvation. Don't make them wait too long. And certainly don't make them wait forever. Because that is to be shared with all the nations and all the tongues and all the peoples of this whole world. And you may have a very minor role in it, but you have a role in it. We all do.